All right, take your Bibles and turn to Acts, the book of Acts. Yeah, I just, I get to preach and I forget about the water. Even when I get thirsty, I forget the water's there, so I'll probably forget it again tonight, but just like I, I need to go ahead and get a Kleenex right now. Last night, and I, and I hope the microphone works a little better tonight, I got it on my belt tonight. Yesterday afternoon, we looked at from Joshua 24, where Joshua is remembering how good God had been, not just to him, but to the people of God. And then about verse 14, 13, 14, he's responding, or the people need to respond. If you read the rest of the chapter, I didn't tell you to, and I won't ask you questions or anything about it, but I think he was burdened that, that they were not really genuine in their commitment. When you get to the end of the chapter, he uh, first makes them verbally testify that they're going to do what they just said they would do in fearing him, serving him, confessing sin and following him, choosing to do that every day of their life. Uh, so he made them verbally say that. Then he wrote it down. Like put it on paper, so to speak. And then he even put it under a tree and, and like gave them something to look at. They still disobeyed. I mentioned it yesterday, your life and my life and their life is not much that different. We really need God to be faithful because we're just not. We need his grace, we need his mercy, we need his goodness, but also we need what I want us to look at tonight in Acts 20. We're going to look not in an exegesis way or anything from 17 to 38. We'll kind of go through that story in Paul's life because this response can be collective as a church when we remember and respond to God and his goodness too in our life, but it's got to be personal. It's got to be private. It's got to be you. God's into relationships. He does more than Sundays. Amen. So he, he wants time with you. He wants you to know him, and he wants it to be reverse, and just, you know, he, he wants a relationship with you. So what we're going to do is kind of look at the story from 17 to 38, but then we're going to really focus on just one verse of Scripture tonight in verse 24. And I love that clock being back there on the wall, so I can keep an eye on it. In verse 17, and I'll not read a lot of these verses. We're just going to kind of hop around a little bit before we get back to this kind of, I, I kind of call verse 24 like Paul's personal testimony. And what he's doing is he's meeting with a bunch of preacher boys, guys that had been saved in Ephesus where he spent two to three years maybe in Ephesus, Corinth maybe 18 months. Most places he went for three months or so. And the reason he left so quickly is because they usually ran him out of town. So Corinth, he stayed a little while, and Ephesus, he did. So in those two to three years at Ephesus, there was a nucleus of preachers. But you're going to read through, and I'll show you just a couple things. It was more than just a preacher's fellowship. These men knew each other. They loved each other. You know, I think if there's anything missing in the New Testament church, and I, I guess it's probably been missing as long as I've been in it, it might be a little worse now because we're so captivated by just non-real things, like a phone. I mean, just, just a phone can just absolutely capture your entire world. Amen. 
Um, and I'm not against phones or whatever, but, you know, I got one. It's in the car. They really loved it. They knew each other. It's almost like we don't really want to know each other because you find out about each other, you know. I mentioned it last night when my wife married me. We dated off and on 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. We were married, and she's probably thinking, what in the world have I done? God over the years has drawn us closer to the Lord and closer to each other, but I still got mess in my life. She still got mess in hers. My girls do. I have two daughters. You know, they got mess in their life too, but man, they're my girls. As we go through this passage, and really tomorrow night and Wednesday night, we're going we're to build on this thought. This is a personal thing that we're going to look at in the Apostle Paul's life and what it looked like, and that's where it's got to start. But if it ever starts there, you're going to have people in your life. And if you've got people in your life, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get disappointed. You're going to get offended. It's going to be messy. If you think it's clean, then you ain't had too many relationships. Deep ones, superficial stuff, talk about the weather and who won the last game last night. But you start dealing with people in real life, that's what Paul did with these men. The reason I know this is because in verse 1 of 21, they had to pull these men off of him. And they're doing weird stuff. In our culture, in verse 37 and 38, they're hugging each other's necks and kissing each other and weeping. And I mean snot crying. Why? Because he just told them, I'm not going to see you guys again. So they knew each other. They didn't just sit on pew four and pew five. They had been in the living room of their lives. And we're going to see that a little bit in this passage. So let's start out in 17. As he gathers these elders, plural, from these different churches and in verse 18, again, we don't read everything, but he's reminding them that you know. He, again, this is kind of remembering like we did yesterday. He's remembering th their time together. And he mentions a few things in verse 19. We'll look at serving the Lord. That, that, there's, there's, there's the motivation. He's serving the Lord. He's serving them. He's serving churches. He's serving people. He's serving lost. He's serving saved. But the catalyst for everything I do is Jesus. Amen. And I'll go back to that throughout the verse that we look at, and then tomorrow night and, and Wednesday night, if, if you're not serving the Lord, and I'm not saying you can't serve the Lord, serve the church. It, it's, 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 in the, it's in the window. That, that's part of it. But man, if the church ever becomes the focus or are the people that you're serving, are the lost or the saved, then you're going to be out of whack at some point. If you ever get your eyes completely on them, who you're serving, and not him, who you're serving because they will mess up. They will let you down. They will hurt you. They will be unfaithful. He never will. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. I ain't, you ain't, we ain't. He is and always will be. So you're just reminding them, I'm, I'm, I'm serving the Lord with all humility. Humility is a garment, Peter says. A mature garment for a believer is humility. If you think you're somebody, oh, brother, 
I forget, I think it was Tozer that said about Moses, he spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years realizing he was nobody. And then he spent the next 40 realizing what God can do with a nobody. Humility. So I served y'all with humility of mind. And then look at the next phrase, verse 19, many tears. And there's all kind of stories in those three words. Some of those tears could have been happy ones. Some of those tears could have been sad ones. But he's just reminding them, we went through life together. And that's another thing I think we don't have in the body of Christ. And we're going to be talking about that, I promise you, tomorrow night and Wednesday night. You need people in your life. And I'm not talking about the people you go to church with. I'm talking about the people you do life with. One of the best things we ever did at Oakwood when I was in Anderson working with Dr. Rice and I was the associate pastor down there so I was kind of looking for some stuff to do and we had done this a little bit in our previous ministry days but we just decided, and this was out of the comfort zone for my wife and we'll probably talk about this more Tuesday and Wednesday night. We started opening up our home every Monday night. So every Monday night we had teens in our house. Every Monday night. Now I mean there might have been a few Monday nights, Christmas week, Thanksgiving week or whatever so every Monday night for like, like, I don't know, seven, seven, eight years. And it got so big that we couldn't do it in our house anymore because it was small, so we had to go to other people's houses. But, but I mean, that was every Monday night. I mean, I just messed up Monday night football. And they usually messed up the house. And I don't know if they ever said thank you. You know? He's just reminding them we did life together. So I just kind of want to remind y'all today as we think about the, the parameters and the pursuits of the apostle Paul's life, what drove him to live and do stuff with people. If you go back to verse four of chapter 20, you're going to meet some people in verse four. You don't even know who these people are. They're not like top billing believers in the New Testament, but they were people Paul hung out with. They were people Paul did life with. They were people Paul served with. And I'm not talking one week on vacation Bible school or one week on a mission trip sleeping on the floor in a gym. I'm talking about 365. They did life with them. We don't do that no more because it costs too stinking much. It encroaches on my time. And you're going to mess up, and I'm going to mess up, and it's going to be messy. So I'm just saying, he's reminding them in verse 19, there was many tears and temptations or trials. And he kind of reminds us in verse 19, the trials which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. There was all kind of struggles. There was all kind of difficulty. So, so he served them in humility, and he served them through many tears, and he served them with many trials. Verse 20 and verse 21, he's just reminding them of the word ministry. So verse 19 is like maybe the everyday ministry. Might have been like the Monday night Bible studies that they had. Might have been the times they met in the mornings or whatever. But there was also ministry meetings. I kept back nothing, verse 20 says, it was profitable unto you. And I've showed you and taught you publicly from house to house. So there was, there was word ministry. And some of that word ministry might have been on the Lord's Day. Many of that word ministry, as we see from verse 20, would have been from house to house. And most churches were in houses. But 
He's also probably alluding to just times that he did ministry other than just on the set times that they did ministry. Verse 21 talks about he had testified to them about the gospel. 22 reminds us of the burden that's on him about going to Jerusalem and some didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. I've even read people that said he made a mistake when he went to Jerusalem. Whatever, whatever. He's going and he feels like the Holy Ghost wants him to go and he knows there's bonds and affliction. Verse 23, he says that he knows that's abiding or awaiting him when he gets to Jerusalem. He knows there's opposition coming, there's persecution coming. We'll skip 24 and Verse 25 just continues to talk about his preaching ministry and then he encourages them through the remaining part of this passage about some things that they need to be aware of and some things that they need to do in their own personal ministries. And again, just to remind you that when he left in verse 36, when he had thus spoken, kneeled down, prayed with them all and they all wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. And verse 1 says that after we were gotten from them. And the wording there kind of means they had to pull the men off of him just so he could get on the boat and leave. So you kind of get the picture. So it's just a preacher, just a preacher guy, Paul. And he's hanging out for a little while with a bunch of guys that he led to Jesus. And he did Bible studies with them and he did life with them and he confronted sin with them and they confessed stuff and they wept and they cried and they grew and he helped them and they probably looked at him like a mentor and he looked at them as a blessing. They both needed each other. Let me just remind you of that. So what? I'm the guy in the pulpit tonight with the towel. I need you. I need you. I'm a nobody. Jesus is, Jesus is the common denominator. We need each other. Paul knew that. They knew that. That's why they were literally, physically, emotionally going to miss him. So I just want to remind you of something tonight that we'll, we'll deal more with tomorrow night and Wednesday night. You need people in your life. When I first got into ministry, I, I was never an extrovert. My wife was. And she meets people and talks to people and just sees everybody. And first church I, I pastored, you know, my thing was, you know, I just go down there and preach my little message. And, and I would have went out the back door if there was a back door. You know, I preached my little message. I did my little thing. And Wanda said, you, you got to get with people. You got to talk to people. I didn't really want to. And that's a problem, right? That's just a problem. You need people in your life. In fact, that's what you've been called to meet and reach. And invest in his people. So we'll talk more about that. Look at verse 24. Here's where we'll spend our time together tonight, next 20 minutes or so. I hope that won't be too, too long. Look at verse 24. And it, 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 I don't know if I'm going to give you points. I'm just going to give you three scriptural statements. Paul's personal response to what happened to him on the Damascus Road what he never got over, how he could say this stuff in this verse, because this is heavy stuff in this verse. The first thing he says, none of these things move me. Now, you you can take the none to mean none. 
knowing what he's looking at, future, Jerusalem, are none of the past. Nothing in my future, nothing on my radar, nothing in my history is going to move me. Move me means deter me, distract me, take me off mission, take me off call. And before you take that as his call to missions, no, just his call to life, just to be a gospel man, a Jesus man, a holy man, that wherever he goes, light, wherever he goes, salt. Don't you segregate this. Don't you say, I can't be Paul. You don't have to be Paul. You just be Guy. You be Margaret Stringer. You be James. You be Wanda. You be Josiah. You just be you. You just let the gospel do you, change you, transform you, use you, touch people. Like I said yesterday, we're all five loaves and two fishes. I might be two loaves and half a fish. I have no idea, but it doesn't matter. It matters who I give my life to. And what he's saying in this first verse, all the peripheral stuff that's bad and negative and oppressive and hurtful and persecuting and opposition, it's not going to change me. It's not going to deter me. It's not going to stop me. For 44 years, I've been pastoring. I've heard more excuses why they don't go to church or why I quit doing this or why I stopped doing that. Can I just go through a little list? Paul was a little um, aware of acutely to suffering. I mean, when you read through this, it kind of makes the rest of us feel kind of bad. Here's what it says. This is in 2 Corinthians 11. And he's not doing this to glory in it. He almost, if you read through the letters, he's almost like a Paul. He's even having to mention this kind of stuff. In labors more abundant, stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent. And this is what's always got me in deaths, plural, oft. One idea is there was a lot of times he was really close to death and some think, you know, he died in Iconium or when they came up and beat him to death. If he was dead, he got resurrected. Either way, whether he died or he was dead or he got resurrected, beat to death almost, it all sounds bad. And it happened oft. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep in journeyings often. Perils, waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils by the... Look, there's enough we've already read for you just to quit. And, and, and the list goes on, weariness, painfulness, watchings, hunger, thirst, fasting, cold, nakedness. He says, none, none of that, none of that moves me. Hurting, suffering, difficulties, situations, none of this was strange to him. Difficulties, discouragements, he was well aware of. And I believe most, most possibly in Acts chapter 18, I don't know for sure, but it says this in Acts chapter 18, and he's just experienced some of these issues where he's been beaten and he struggled, he's been in prison. 
And it says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 18, just so you understand that Paul was not some superhuman, some superman, somebody unlike you or unlike me. Here's what it says about the apostle Paul. And we know from 17, he came a little discouraged because nobody really wanted much fruit. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, gets a little bit of encouragement. There's a few people saved in some of his workings. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision in verse number nine. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. Was he afraid? I don't know. Maybe so. Sounds like maybe he was just a little bit afraid. Maybe he didn't want to get beat again. Maybe he was potentially thinking about, I'm just going to be quiet because the more I talk, the more I get beat. I've never been there. The most I've ever been is cussed, maybe. A few doors slammed. I've been accused of some things. We had some things spread about us when we was in New York one time. I mean, but this, not even close. And hold not thy peace. Verse 10, the Lord says, for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. I think he's kind of telling him, look, I can't promise you that you're not going to get hurt in the next city, but in this city, you're not going to get hurt. Here, here's the reason, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months preaching the word of God among them. He's just reminding us that there was nothing there was nothing that was going to keep him from doing what God had called him to do. Specifically, it was to start churches. Specifically, it was to evangelize the known world through Asia Minor. But more personally, it was just to be a gospel witness. And he's reminding us that nothing was going to keep me from doing that. Nothing. So that's just a question that we've got to ask ourselves. What drives us? What moves us? What motivates us? Or the negative of it, what stops us? I mentioned it earlier. I've met a lot of people that it's not taking a whole lot to get them out of church or get them out of the Sunday school class or get them out of the choir. Paul's just reminding us in this first little phrase as he reminds those that are around him. And they're trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. There's an Agabus guy. Agabus is a strange guy in the book of Acts. He just kind of pops up every once in a while, prophesies a little bit, and goes back into obscurity. I mean, they're trying to get him not to go. And when he goes, it's bad. But all he's telling them and what he's telling us, nothing that I've experienced in my past, nothing that might be on the horizon of my future, none of those things, none of those things are going to move me. And again, from Acts 18, this is not like some pulling him up by his own bootstraps. He was a weak man. He was just like you, just like me. But he got strength in the Lord. He kept going. So there's the first thing. Look at the next little phrase. And the first one will never be a reality if the second one's not a reality. And I guess you could call verse, the first phrase, one side of the coin, and this second little phrase, the other side of the coin. Neither. Count I my life dear unto myself. Neither. So both of these things are working in Paul's life all the time. One is I'm not going to allow anything that's negative to keep me from the mission that God's called me to do. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. 
another aspect of this personal profession from the Apostle Paul is that he was not counting or holding on to his life. He was not going to possess his life. He was going to lose his life. Now, not literally lose his life in physical death, but if that was an option, he was open to it. Whether by life or by death, he said, I want my life to be magnified in Christ. Neither count I my life. This is personal. This is, this is the apostle Paul making a conscious decision that his life was not going to be something that he would hold on to or possess himself. He would live for the eternal. I count not my life dear unto myself. That was his perspective. Doesn't that sound a whole lot what Jesus said? I mean, doesn't that sound like Paul's living out what Jesus told his followers? You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. You notice follow me comes third. The denying and the dying. Denying and the dying on the cross before following. He took the words of the gospel to be reality. None of these things move me. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to deter me. Nothing's going to distract me from following Christ. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I am not holding on to my life. Sometimes we as believers hold on to things. It keeps us from doing those things that we know God wants us to do. I, I mentioned Monday night, the Bible studies, that was out of our comfort zone, inviting somebody into our house. The three boys that I talked to, talked about on Sunday, it was easy to do, but it was, again, it was out of our comfort zone. All three of those boys, we got to, over time, was able to lead all three of those boys to the Lord. I still have a relationship with two of those boys, and that was a long time ago. What are you willing to rearrange in your life to do differently, to get outside of your comfort zone. I'm going to be asking you to think about some things that maybe you could do because all of us have been called to have impact with the gospel. Are there going to be negatives to that? Sure. Nothing like the Apostle Paul. I doubt very seriously any of us are going to have to deal with any of this stuff. Those people that came up from Iconium and beat him to death, whether he died literally or not, and the Lord raised him. Right. Raised him up from the dead. I don't know. Either way, you know what Paul did? He went back into that city. That makes no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. Unless the opposition, the persecution, the negative doesn't make a difference to Paul. What keeps us from serving? Just one bad night or one person turned us down or, or one negative our one opposition, it doesn't take much to get us to quit. It doesn't take much to get us to stop. So he's just reminding us none of those things. And the reason he said none of those things is because my life, I'm not hanging on to. I'm not living for me. I'm living for him. I really believe that you lose your life. 
If you follow Jesus through Luke 9, Luke 9 is kind of, it's not like chronological day by day, hour by hour, but several weeks is in Luke 9. And the way it ends in Luke 9 is just really um, uh, unusual. The people that were going to follow him, and it's almost like he don't want them to follow. He wanted them to understand that you lose everything. Nothing's on the radar but following Christ. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Look at the latter part, the third aspect. This is like where he's headed. This is what, what he's motivated by. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The calling of his life is in that latter part of verse number 24 that I'm just to be a testimony to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what every one of us in this room has been called to do. And there's no big way or no small way of doing that. I mentioned my mom yesterday and she was actually going to try to come with me, but she's having some leg issues and not getting around that much, so she probably won't be able to make it. I was thinking about bringing her Wednesday night, but I don't think she's going to be able to make it. And we mentioned earlier, Dr. Russell Rice. I mean, I've, I've known of Dr. Rice since, I don't know, since Bible college days, obviously, when I first went to school, 79, 78. Um, known him for a long time. And, and yes, he was a definite influence and investor in my life. But you know the person that had the biggest impact on my life was my mother. What Paul's reminding us is what's really our objective. What's really my end game? And you won't ever, and I'm not saying you need to sell everything and live in a pup tent, but you will never see the apostle Paul say, what I've got in my objective is to make sure that I got enough to live on when I get 90. You won't see that anywhere. Second Timothy 4, you won't see it here. He says, I just want to finish my course and the ministry that God's put specifically on me, I want to finish it with joy. That's what. And to do that, I will not allow my life to get in the way. When God was beginning to work in my heart, I, I can't remember. I told this story. I tell, tell this story sometimes. It sounds kind of hokey and twilight zone, but whatever. It's my story, so you don't have to believe it if you don't want to. I couldn't have been more than maybe eight. And my papa, his name was Guy Kelly. He died when I was seven. So I didn't know him real well, but he still had the barn. And when I was eight, I would go down in that barn with my cousin Steve, and they would be these little cylinder-looking things, and they would put corn shucks in there when they'd feed. And we used to get, jump out the loft door down on the hay stacks and stuff at the bottom. We just played down there on the weekends and stuff. And I can remember turning those things over, getting a little flat surface, and I'd, I'd bring me a little Bible down there, and I'd set it on there as a kid. I'm going to tell you all something tonight. I knew when I was eight or nine years old what I was supposed to do. I knew it. But I thought, there ain't no way. And during my early years, middle school, high school, I got away from the Lord, did stuff, got involved in stuff. You know, the devil tells you stuff during that time, flesh tells you stuff during that time, all kinds of things you hear. You're telling your stuff. 
All I'm, all I'm saying to you tonight, whatever you think that might be negative or opposing out there, and we're going to talk about this stuff in real terms Tuesday and Wednesday night. And those tears in verse 19 are real tears. Some of them were good and some of them was bad. Some of them was hard. And that little list we went through in 2 Corinthians 11, there's another one in 4. Paul went through some stuff and it was hard stuff and it hurt. And I promise you, he did not want to do it again. But with God's help, he decided that's not going to move me. That's not going to stop me. That's not going to cause me to get off on the exit. I was thinking why James was talking tonight. And I'm not going to get off on this tangent or whatever. But man, I mean, we, we live in the area where you can just hop from one church to the other, like from one hill to the next one. And I know sometimes people need to leave churches and I, I get all that. But I'm just saying in Philippi and Colossae and Galatia, they, they didn't have an option. <laughs> Right? They guess what? They just had to work it out. None, nothing was going to deter him. And the reason he could say that is because I don't hold on to my life. I'm not going to live for me. Look in the in the latter part we read it. I just hadn't got started on it. So that I might finish. So that this is like the end. This is his plan. What's your plan? What's your plan? You probably got a financial plan. I, th I think you ought to have one. You know, I shouldn't depend on you to take care of me when I get old, right? Right? I, got, I need a plan. And we got one. We got a little plan. We got a house paid for down to Anderson, I hope. We can sell it at some point. I think I pretty much got us a place to, to live, you know, when we get whatever age it is that we have to, Whatever, stop preaching, pastoring, or whatever. Getting income and living off of Social Security. I'm not real sure what we're going to eat. It might be beans or whatever. I don't know. But, but what's your eternal plan? Who are you pouring your life into? Have you lived beside these people for all these years? And you just know what, what seed they use on their grass? And you like their, their, their single-term mower? Or you've looked at their last vehicle and you think, I might ought to get one of them? Or you talk politics, but you never, you never had them in your den and did what Brother Craig was doing on, on, on a paper bag, talking to him about the gospel. You see, he's saying, I don't want nothing out there keeping me from the gospel because that's eternal. And I don't want my life that I love and I like and I like my body and it don't feel good to get beat on. And I don't like prison, but that's not going to stop me because I don't love me. I'm just telling you, that's unnatural to the flesh, but that's normal Christian thinking. It's normal. Everything about what Jesus said, and deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, is just borne out further through the Apostle Paul. Set your affections on things above, 
We live for that little snapshot of here and we forget the eternal. All he's reminding us of is I don't want anything that's negative about this down here and there's plenty of it. Let, let's, let's go back. I'm watching the clock. I'm trying to be done at 8.30. I just got a few minutes left. Oh, I can tell you, now I've tried to forget the stuff, but I can tell you the names of the people that's hurt me. That came to our house and ate our food, ate our Debbie cakes, messed up the den, and then, I get to choose what I do with that. I can use that as an excuse. That's why I don't do that no more. Well, then you've lost sight of Christ. You've lost sight of the gospel. You stopped remembering, like we read in Isaiah, the hole God dug you out of. It's called lostness. It's called weakness. It's called sin. It's called a front to God. And he brought you out out of that and every day I get to live for God so if you hurt me I don't care that ain't stopping me because my life is not dear now hang on I ain't always done that perfect I have chewed some people out I have blown up. And I've had to go back and confess. All I'm saying, I want the pattern of my life. Nothing in front of me is stopping me. And I ain't dragging none of the bricks of the past with me. I'm going to forget that mess. And I'm going to stretch that Philippians verse it's like something that's just almost out of reach. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some purpose for you to get what God has for you. It might not be easy, but it's spiritually possible because Christ lives in you. So you can get it. But your life's going to have to be not dear to you. And no matter what the stretch is, it can't stop you because I want to When he starts talking about in 2 Timothy 4, and he starts talking about heaven, and he starts using those words, I'd encourage you to look up in words. We start talking about my departure is at hand. The word there is like you take the rope off the moorings of a ship <laughs> that's about to leave for the last time. Paul's seeing it. I'm getting ready to disconnect from old flesh life. And I'm getting ready to go there. And I finished my course. He aimed at finishing. What are you going to finish? 
I got plans for my 401k, but that's not top shelf. I got plans for my house in Anderson, but that's not top shelf. I've got enough faith, I hope, to believe God's big enough to take care of me if I forget me and never forget him. That's what Paul's saying. I want to finish. Do you see the two things? My course, my ministry, two separate things. Course is just my everyday life. Preaching's what I do is not who I am. The most important thing I am is a man that's married to a woman. I'm a grandpa that's got grandkids. I'm a man that's been given and blessed with the opportunity of reaching other people because I'm a preacher. But this is what I do. It's my specific task. But the course of my life is bigger than this. The majority of those tears in verse 19, y'all, that didn't happen in no pulpit. That happened in a den. That happened praying. Around somebody sick. That happened bringing somebody in faith to the gospel. That happened in bringing somebody through confession and reformation in their life and be restored. It happened out of the pulpit. He said, I want the course of my life, just the everyday stuff of my life. I want to finish it. And the specific task, start a church here Start a church there. Do this, do that. I want to finish that. But don't miss the little word. With joy. The idea of the word there has the idea of like satisfied. Not like, you know, like happy or even the idea of joyful. That, that, that's part of it. But the word is more satisfied. I had uh, lunch, and it's after 8.30, so I'm, I've already lied tonight. There you go. I had lunch with two boys. They're not boys now. I never knew that their birthdays were on the same day. Born three years apart, 44 and 41. I didn't know it was their birthday. I just We kind of reconnected. One's in, in a pretty difficult place in life. The other's doing okay. We're all in difficult places at times in our life. But as I left the lunch, one, I just told the Lord, thank you for letting a nobody share in the lives of these two boys. The one still needs me. And it's not that he needs me, he needs Christ. God's giving you opportunities every day of your life to do what Paul said in the end of the verse. The gospel invaded my life on the road to Damascus and I ain't never got over that. And what he's done for me, I want to make sure everybody knows who I just met. Not that he's the big preacher man, started churches all over Asia Minor, wrote half the New Testament. Paul didn't give a flip about that. Paul was a sinner saved by the grace of God. 
when he wrote to the Ephesians and they were a bunch of pornographic pagans. And he said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't look at them and say, y'all are so bad. No, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. And he was just thankful that God let him serve him. So I'm not going to let nothing stop me. What's stopping you? I'm not going to hang on to nothing I got as a treasure more valuable than letting it go. Whatever dream, just whatever aspiration, just get rid of it. Let him have it. What he's got for you is so much better than you could ever dream up for yourself. Just let it go. So, one day... You can sit down. Maybe too old to do this. I've asked the Lord to let me preach till I'm 90. I don't know. Maybe that's crazy, but I have. Someday you can sit down. And you might not have any money to go through. And you might not have a portfolio to look through. And you probably wouldn't look through it. I'm still a dinosaur. You'd do it on an iPad. I think you'd be clicking, you know, to see what you got. But Adam... You got pages in your life of people, of people. We could talk about that tomorrow night and Wednesday night. People in your life, people you've invested in, people that's invested in you. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. He mentioned it. We'll maybe talk about short-term missions trips one little bit. What's stopping you? What are you hanging on to? What's your primary finish line? What, what are you working for? Brother, you come. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for your attention. I'm sorry for going so long.